Welcome to Leaders in the Arena. My name is Jenny Whitener, and it's my pleasure to be your host today. We are a global network of business strategists, designers, and innovators that team with you to create bold strategies, innovative leadership, and creative solutions to some of the toughest problems that our world faces today. It is our great pleasure to have with us today a special guest on today's podcast, Jacqueline Matupi. Jacqueline is the Director of Social Innovation at the Wondery Vanderbilt University Center of Innovation and the co-creator of the Climate Innovation Accelerator in Nashville, Tennessee. Jacqueline has expertise in social impact, energy efficiency, sustainability, and community affairs. She previously served as the Nashville Regional Director of External Affairs at the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, where she worked with multiple organizations, businesses, and government agencies. Jacqueline has an undergraduate in design and architecture with a master's in sustainability practices and graduate certificate in conflict management. We've got to hear more about that. And she now lives in Nashville with her husband and her two son young sons, her two young sons, and beloved rescue pit bull Moxie. So again, great to have Jacqueline with us today. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Great. Well, maybe just take a moment to have the audience learn a little bit more about yourself. Anything else you'd want to share? Yeah. Um, well, thanks again for letting me be here. I wish I was there in Chattanooga. I love Chattanooga. Um, I always um, I always cringe a little bit when I hear my bio because it's always the high reel, right? The fanciest titles that, you, that you've had and occupied. And so I'll share something that usually isn't on my bio that I served a year in AmeriCorps after college. Um, and that year of service really helped inform um, to me, what public service looks like, what having a different point of view looks like, um, and being really on the front lines of service, and that has been a through line in the years to come. So really proud of that service. That sounds great. I mean, I feel like from others I've heard talk about those types of experiences, I'm sure it was immersive, transformational, and helped you see the world in a completely different way. And to some degree, after knowing more about what you're doing for our world and our society, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that opportunity. So talk to us a little bit more about your role in creating the Climate Innovation Accelerator. What an extraordinary name and what an extraordinary capability. Talk to us about that. Yeah, thanks. Um, we have, it's about, it's a bit of a mouthful, the Climate Innovation Accelerator. So we endearingly call it CIA for short. And so um, I want to give credit where credit is due. And I was the owner of that idea, but I really recruited some smart, capable uh, people to help uh, make it fly. And so um, that's why the co-creation and, and being a co-founder of CIA is the title that is most suiting. I think um, one of my superpowers is that I have this contagious enthusiasm. And so I'll have an idea and I'm really good at recruiting people to say, hey, like, let's let's make this a reality. And, and that's really kind of the story of CIA and the origin of it is uh, starting at the Wondery about a year and a half ago. I came from public sector and uh, was really charged with creating some climate programming that engages students. So um, challenge accepted. And I went on a six month listening tour to, to learn and unearth what I didn't know and spoke to a lot of staff and students and faculty and internal stakeholders. 
um, and then went into the community and listened some more and some more. And through those um, conversations learned what could a program look like. I also serve on the Mayor's Sustainability Advisory Committee. We just authored a report last year on a climate action plan. And so, uh, you know, a huge tenant of social innovation is design thinking. And a good starting place for design thinking is how might we? So I asked the question, how might we um, put all those conversations you know, in a blender with this, with this plan and report and, and make it be? And how, how might we do that by centering equity and doing it in a different way? And so that was really the springboard for um, activating that and recruiting people to help think about what could this curriculum look like. And so for those that aren't familiar with the program, it's a 10 week accelerator. It engages exclusively minority small businesses and uh, led nonprofits. And there's three pillars of education. They are partnered with a student team and a corporate vendor that provides subject matter expertise on sustainability to um, explore, identify, analyze, research, scope, a climate innovation that they can then implement after the accelerator. Right, so this whole focus on getting them engaged, providing the education, the support, and then the action. I love it. I love that it goes all the way to action. So today, as you know, in our podcast, we're running a live session and we have a number of guests that have joined us. And I'm just gonna speak to them for a moment. So as we continue with our conversation with Jacqueline, please feel free to use the chat and uh, post questions that we'll be um, going to a little bit later in today's live podcast. So I wanna welcome our guests who are with us today. So let's go a little bit deeper into the, the Climate Innovation Accelerator that you've um, put together and talk about its context and the implications that you're having in the marketplace. You know, it makes me think of a recent study from the Climate Works Foundation, charitable giving to climate change mitigation increased 25% in recent years, totaling somewhere between 7.5 and 12.5 billion uh, given in 2021. This is still only one to 1.5% of charitable giving, but there's an increased momentum in prioritizing climate change. Let's talk a little bit about that, about prioritizing climate change, which means most, mostly funding. It also means in terms of prioritization with resources and putting it as a top tier action list. Talk to me a little bit about how you're seeing the Climate Innovation Accelerator and the momentum that you've created there in the community. Yeah, I think, um, I think there requires a lot of factors in order for sustainability to, to go viral, if you will, in a community like Nashville. And so there needs to be political will, there needs to be funding. I think there is a once in a generation funding from the Inflation Reduction Act. So lots of federal dollars. And um, we worked with Milepost, which is a B Corp consulting firm to create a roadmap for each of the CIA clients to see how they could harness those dollars. I think that's really important. Um, when I think about sustainability, you know, it's often likened to a three-legged stool. You've got people, you've got profit, you've got planet, that, that triple bottom line. And so thinking about, you know, what is local government doing? What are corporations doing? What is a nonprofit sector and citizens doing um, is, is how I frame that conversation. And so thinking about local government, I came to Nashville about... Um, 13 years ago, I came in 2010. Um, that year was a historic 500 year flood. 
Mayor Dean was mayor at that time, um, and his charge was always to make Nashville the greenest city in the Southeast. And I think that the silver lining of that flood is that it forced us to prioritize, to get um, really laser focused on how to prioritize and take resilience seriously. And that flood resulted in $2 billion of private property loss. And so as uh, we thought as a community to build back, um, we thought, how do we build back better in a way that um, makes sense? Who, where do we build back? How do we build back? Um, in the event that you know these these extreme weather events continue to happen more frequently, and so that was I saw a pivotal moment, and he has ushered the way for future mayors um, to to build on that momentum. And so um, today, I think um, you know the the Metro Council in February of 2022 approved an adoption of a goal to reduce metro emissions by 80 percent. Fantastic. Staggering by 2050, um, 80% relative to 24, the 20, their 2014 baseline. Um, they're also working on a solar feasibility um, assessment of 600 plus um, buildings to see how they can be more energy efficient or, or harness clean energy. They've also partnered with Cumberland River Compact to plant a half a million trees by 2015. That's a great public-private partnership example. Um, and Route Nashville, Megan Morgan, is leading the charge on that. So um, there's some really great substantive initiatives underway. Uh, there's also a mayoral race right now. And so sustainability isn't just a talking point. I mean, there, there's an entire forum dedicated to resilience infrastructure. On the nonprofit front, um, I have a lot of work that I admire of nonprofits doing smart, passionate, effective work. Um, Urban Green Lab, Todd Lawrence's team is doing really um, great work on how to create a culture of sustainability in the workplace or in schools, has a lot of training. Tennessee Women in Green fosters great community each month and we post them. Turnip Green Creative Reuse Wallace Joiner's team diverts hundreds of thousands of pounds from the landfill and has a really creative reuse way of, of, um, of reusing that. Uh, Laurel Creech just stepped into a no new role with Nature Conservancy. Um, there's a lot of conservation work that I'm excited to see her spearhead. Tennessee Environmental Council, Walk Bike Nashville, Cumberland River Compact, the list goes on, but they are doing great work and harnessing those, those dollars um, to, to do good. And then lastly, I think to speak on the corporate side, there's a lot of really big players that have moved to town or have been in town, including Amazon, Bridgestone, Nissan, Oracle, Schneider Electric, Alliance Bernstein. They're really changing they're, they're setting the bar high on what corporate social responsibility ESG looks like. Um, and, and so that is a really vibrant conversation, I think in part because we have that new energy in town. That's fantastic. I love how you talk through both the commitment and the prioritization at the government level, the nonprofit, really the innovation and sort of, I guess, the, the momentum that's created in that social sector and then how the corporate sector is coming in. Just maybe a, a question that comes to mind, maybe not on our plan today, but how do you get them convening? How do you create the synergy across those? Because I think that's where the power comes in is building the prioritization, learning from each other and learning to work together. How do you get that to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
I think, you know, the power of convening can be done, who convenes matters, right? And I think that the, the Sustainability Advisory Council has, committee has done a great job of convening um, those, those business leaders. The Urban Green Lab has a roundtable, a sustainability roundtable that brings together nonprofits and, and corporations to, to talk about best practices and to um, talk about the culture of sustainability in the workplace. The one of the goal, one of the chief goals of CIA is to convene a different table and to bring together, you know, those unlikely collisions that lead to innovation. And so, uh, a, a main player of CIA is these corporate mentors, right? And so we had Cummins, we had Amazon, we had Lyft serving as mentors and TVA as subject matter experts to small businesses um, that otherwise would never be in the same together. And, um, and I think that um, you have to have that, that mentorship is so, so important. And the student teams providing the horsepower of, of research and having that double impact model where the, mo where the mentor is not only mentoring the students, but that small business owner. And the Nashville Business Chamber, 70% of their members are small businesses, right? And so that's a huge lever in our city to make a difference, but they don't have, the budget for sustainability, the chief right. sustainability officer, right? So that's where the 1%, right? The businesses that have a whole team of sustainability managers or coordinators, they have a role to play just as much. So the CIA is really um, a convening mechanism and platform for those conversations to be had. It's, I mean, just to hear, I know that I know this, but it's very exciting to hear you talk about it because I love the fact that you're talking about how small businesses are such a core fabric of many communities. They don't have these resources and the way that you're bringing them together to bring the best of the best so that they can have an impact on climate change. They can have this, this focus of social responsibility that's so important and vital to all of us on the planet. Let's talk a little bit more about the social, the principles of social innovation for climate change. Talk to us about that. You know, how do you use the principles of social innovation when you're working through these solutions? Yeah, I think, um, you know, CIA is kind of the best of, of social innovation of sustainability and innovation. And you need all of those um, strategy, innovation, sustainability to make a transformation. Um, and so we were really intentional with the curriculum design. And so from a sustainability standpoint, um, we taught businesses and nonprofits, like what, for one, what is climate science? It can be very nebulous. So on a tactical level, what is climate change and how does it, or how will it affect and um, impact your business plan or your mission? And what vulnerabilities are you open to through more extreme weather events, right? Be that a supply chain or your workers um, or your workforce. And so really bringing it down to a tactical level of operationally, how does it impact you um, was kind of the, um, and understanding just the lexicon, the vocabulary of sustainability. There's so many acronyms. And so really just giving them what they needed to be able to act on and, and not overload them. 
The second piece was innovation. That second pillar was zooming in on what is innovation. That's a really buzzy word too, and can be a bit of an enigma. And so we really looked at what are the constraints um, that create barriers for innovation? What are they? And barriers are just opportunities for design, for better design. Yeah. And so we looked at what are those constraints that exist and how might we design around them or through them or, um, you know, turning it on its side. But you have to know what those constraints are. Um, and so we examined innovation through the lens of constraints. Life is a tight rope of constraints. Yeah. And then lastly, strategy, you know, really zooming in and zooming out so you can fully understand the forced um, and the trees, right? We talk about that analogy a lot. And I feel like in business, people are either like expert at forestry, right? They really understand how a forest works, the ecosystem of a forest, or they're like an oak tree specialist. And they're like a subject matter expert on oak trees and birches, birch trees and nothing else, right? The, the, the forest and the birch trees never shall meet. Like they're, they're just in silos in terms of strategy and approach. And so really being able to teach these clients how to zoom out and zoom in and know who to have in that conversation is, is something that we taught them through systems thinking. Um, and system thinking really looks at, all right, there's events that you're seeing, there's patterns, but underneath that are values and mindsets. And so we really get down um, to trying to change the mindsets and those frameworks, which is really hard work. They usually don't make them the headlines, but they're driving the headlines. And that requires a lot of empathy interviews and understanding who your user is. Um, and so we use a lot of zooming out with systems thinking, understanding the terrain, understanding what the problem is, being in love more with the problem than the solution. And that takes time and is messy. And then once you understand the problem and no sooner than that, can you zoom in and design levers of change using design thinking, which is very user focused. Right. So what I'm hearing you talk about are major the 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 foundations at the beginning around understanding the terminology, understanding the concepts, then bringing in some real tools to help them change the way they move forward, whether that's design thinking perspective, looking at taking constraints, turning them into opportunities, and then helping them imagine and create new solutions for that. But then also looking at the systems approach where they're understanding that when they mobilize change or even sometimes unpacking the opportunity, that things are not operating in isolations. There is a connection, a system behind that force. And how do we mobilize solutions that enact the system to create sustainable change? Am I understanding this right? A hundred percent. I mean, understanding systems is so important and systems are invisible until they're broken. Yeah. They're, and so understanding, um, you know, I, I use the example of COVID all the time because nobody thought about their toilet paper until COVID happened. Right? Right. And then not on the shelves. Well, why is it not on the shelves? You know, and it forces you to understand all the system that it requires to get the toilet paper on the shelf, right? And so systems are not broken or are not, they're invisible until they're broken. And I think every business, every mission, there is a system. And so how are you designing within that system to get your desired outcome is a thought exercise that most people don't have the luxury to even ponder because they're busy keeping the lights on. And that's um, that's to be expected, right? And so to, to really sit back and understand that will help you better deliver your product or your mission. Um, and part of 
part of the equity piece of CIA is we provide stipends for participants to attend because we understand it's a lift to be out of the office. Um, but back to kind of what the mindsets we do provide, I didn't really, you know, design thinking again is a really buzzy word. And essentially what it is, it's a process to find um, a, a prototype or a product or a service. And so it starts with empathy. It starts with interviewing who your user is or who you want your user to be. Um, and after doing a lot of um, interviews, you're gonna get some insights that move beyond, beyond the obvious. Uh, and in those insights, you are gonna emerge um, some opportunity to really define the problem. Most people just start at defining the problem, but the problem with that is it's the wrong problem they're solving. Right. So you gotta do that, you gotta do that due diligence and that takes time, it's messy, right? And so once you really define the problem, then you can start ideating a solution. So, so you do rapid ideation and prototyping. We do really scrappy prototypes with duct tape and cardboard and then put it back in front of the user to say, hey, did we get this right? Right. And they provide feedback and say, you know, that's horrible. Yes, I love this. You listened. Right. Um, and then it continues to iterate and iterate until you get it right. Wow. We are singing to the choir here. We love design thinking at Bridge Innovate and bolted into everything that we do, whether it's culture transformation or business strategy or redefining just a business capability, whether it's like the recruitment process. So yes, I love the fact that you're bringing that to bear on the social sector, the sustainability perspective, and using that as a tool to help people think differently and see different opportunities. Let's continue on and talk about relationship building and then how, with the work that you're doing, how do you, what are the key roles that you're engaging with people on? How do you get people on board? How do you get the relationships um, mobilizing, working together? How do you deal with pushback? Let's talk about the people side of mobilizing and the and the climate change arena. Yeah. Um, you know, climate change change changes in the is in the title and change is hard, right? People don't people um, have a fear of the unknown, and so there's a lot of theories on the theories of change or change management, how to go about it in the workplace. I think um, the most effective way I've seen is being able to recruit at the top, right? The top of the org chart and being able to find those champions that do have decision-making power. But you also have to win over the hearts and minds of those on the bottom of the org chart, right? That have the soft power, the influence, the culture makers, right? And if you don't have that two-pronged approach, um, you know, it's not, it's not gonna fly. And so you have to be really good at being trilingual. So if you're talking to um, a CEO, you've got to talk about the reputation management of of sustainability and why it matters from a reputation standpoint. If you're talking to a CFO, you've got to talk about um, the brass tax of sustainability, the dollars and cents. If you're talking to a CTO, you've got to talk about, you know, why innovation and climate tech and, and that matters to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, and so there's a really interesting article that actually just came out by Harvard Business Review this month on the evolving um, role of, of, of Chief Sustainability Officer, a CSO. 
And in the day, it used to be just kind of a, a PR, like a glorified PR role where you're kind of gleaning good stories and corporate social responsibility where you're planting trees. It's a great photo worthy initiative, um, but it really wasn't material to the, the business um, bottom line. And now it's involved, it's evolved to a place where it does center strategy and, and the finances of the business plan, um, it's more outwardly facing with stakeholders. And so it has evolved into a more substantial role. And I think that's, you know, that's a good thing. And, but being able to tailor your pitch to the person you're speaking to is just so, so important. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I, and I do believe that having that leader role, that chief sustainability officer emerge into the workplace and uh, as a part of the leadership team continues to elevate the priority and continues to um, think, create the conversations, the planning, the actions needed to really make change happen. So that's front and center in the organization. So, and I like the fact that you're saying that you have to start with the customer, where the customer is, whether that's the CEO or the CTO. So both um, aspects of getting that leadership team on board. And I love the fact that this new emerging role, the chief sustainability officer can be the glue that keeps the senior executive team focused with the right momentum and the right um, priorities around climate change and sustainability. So great work there. Um, what are some of the projects and outcomes from the Climate Innovation Accelerator? Talk to us a little bit about your work and the projects and outcomes. Yeah, we were really intentional about recruiting. Uh, we didn't know what was going to come in or come in. Um, you know, it was a pilot, right? And so we could only take 10 and we got about 30 applicants. And um, within that pool, we were really intentional to say, let's identify some products, some strategies, some services so we can see what works. So it was like a prototype within a prototype because we were prototyping um, opportunities for them. And so some of the projects, um, A&M Marketplace is, they have a, a brand new brick and mortar um, store uh, in North Nashville, which is great, but also farmer's market. And they have a lot of imports from Africa. Martha, the owner, is from Africa and has so many rich relationships and is very thoughtful about who she sources it from and, and their story. And so we did, uh, we overhauled kind of a marketing strategy to tell her story in a better way with more intention to say, what is the social impact of um, the products? And also did kind of a rebranding of the actual labels of many of her lines of work that sh that shows that story. Um, Perfectly Cordial is a mocktail company that um, is local here. Every All these businesses are local. And the student team identified what are some ways that we could not source citrus from Florida, which is susceptible during um, you know, hurricane season to disrupt the supply chain for Rhonda, the owner, but instead source it here locally. And so identified some opportunities to upcycle um, citrus here locally in Nashville and reduce her supply chain costs and carbon and greenhouse gas emissions from the 
the carbon footprint of her ingredients. SourceMark Medical is a medical company that is a supplier to Vanderbilt Medical Center. And we worked with Atmos, which is a startup out of the Wondery to establish an ESG score for them to see, you know, where, where can they improve on their best practices? Where do they even start? They, they had no baseline. So creating that baseline was a real gift to say, okay, this is where we are and this is where we want to be and goals set around that. Um, those are three businesses. I'll provide two nonprofits. Urban Leagues Red Academy is an academy for developers of color, designed some environmental or made suggestions around environmental justice curriculum that they could use to harness all of the um, IRA federal funding that's coming down for development and infrastructure. And then lastly, Tri-State Minority Supplier Development Council has 300 minority business owners. And so designed um, a survey for them to deploy to their members to see how they feel about ESG and sustainability, and then design a curriculum module for their um, executive learning. And so it's um, creating impact. They have a really big platform for impact. And so designing a module for them so that they can um, disseminate that information is a powerful lever. That's amazing. I mean, each of those stories having a very unique approach. And I love the fact that you're really understanding the organization, the small business, whoever your client is. And then it's almost like tailor making right this approach how fantastic that those leaders must feel that you're right there with them beside them guiding them through this process so fantastic work let me just ask again i know we have some live participants if there are any questions that the uh, folks listening in today on our live podcast would like to ask jacqueline please post them now as we begin to wrap up our session today first of all i just want to say thank you uh, for joining us thank you for the amazing work that you are leading. What a model for all of us, not just in the Tennessee area, but globally, for how you're bringing together all these different constituencies, the leaders of government, the leaders in the social sector, the leaders in corporate America, and really helping them act uh, on climate change initiatives to make this world a better place. Um, just makes my day, <laughs> Jacqueline. And I'm thankful, thankful for you and your team and all the things that you're doing. Any words of advice? Uh, I know one of the things we always wrap up with, with leaders in the arena, when we have the opportunity to talk to you who are making great progress in our society, we ask you for that one bit of advice that you would share with other leaders uh, in today's world. What do you have to say? Yeah. Um... I always um, take that, take the opportunity to give advice with, with great gravity. And I, I often find some of the best advice is cloaked in a question. And so my advice will be in the form of a question. I think we often complicate advice and talk too long. Um, and so my, my short and simple advice is, um, are you asking the right question? And I, I provide that advice because it's very on brand for the name of this podcast um, to tell a different story. And so if you want to tell a different story, be that um, of yourself or your, your business or project you're working on, um, I think really leaning in and to curiosity and asking really great questions is, is more powerful than, than just um, talking about things that 
that we already know. And I think a lot of meetings we talk um, about things that we already know instead of unearthing what what don't we know that will get us closer to the truth? And so really leaning, really turning up your curiosity and turning down your ego or you know, your insecurities, I think they are two, sorry, two sides of the same coin, but we don't ask questions because we don't want to be seen as not knowing. Um, and so one of the, the most um, highest professional praises I've been afforded was, Jacqueline, you asked the best questions in the room. And by doing that, it makes everyone lean in and it recruits everyone to participate. And then you can harness the collective wisdom of the room. And that's when you get an energy shift, right? right. Not being the smartest person in the room that often just benefits, you know, one person. And then sometimes, you know, deadly boring, but really asking a riveting question um, that makes everyone pause and, and kind of lean in and, and partake is is really how you get to a different destination great fantastic words of wisdom there and as you said i think it takes a lot of courage uh, to practice curiosity well and ask those great questions in fact i know that we're out of time today so i want to make sure that if individuals want to be in touch with you or ask those great questions what's the best way for them to reach you yeah, you can reach me on LinkedIn, um, Jacqueline Matupi, and um, or at Vanderbilt is Jacqueline R. Matupi at vanderbilt.edu. Uh, would love to continue the conversation. Great. Well, you've challenged us today to bring you our biggest questions and have the courage to do that. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for your extraordinary leadership uh, in our state and in our world. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon and hearing more about the great things you're doing. Thanks, Jenny, I appreciate it. Okay, bye Jacqueline. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Leaders in the Arena. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or subscribe to Bridge Innovate on YouTube to be notified when new episodes release. We also ask that you share this episode with anyone else who'd be interested in hearing from these leaders. Leaders in the Arena is hosted by Bridge Innovate. Learn more about us at bridgeinnovate.com. And while you're there, register to join an upcoming live recording to the podcast for free. See you next time and stay innovative.